So today, can you hear me? Is this still on? Okay. So um, uh, I've been taking some notes on my thinking, and uh, every time I uh, think I'm going to begin uh, what I'm going to say, I think about some. I think about uh, another way of thinking about it, and then I push that first one to the side, and then I something else comes up, and I think, well, this is a good start. And then I push that aside. And then now, now I have a big pile of stuff over here. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll try to think about where I'm going to start. <laughs> so my subject today is uh, energy and effort. Um, energy and effort, um, uh, enthusiasm, I like to call it enthusiasm. Um, I'm going to look at my note here because my memory is not very good. <coughs> um, virya is, this, is Sanskrit, I believe. Uh, virility. We get, get a lot of our English uh, words from Sanskrit. So virya uh, is uh, energy or effort. Uh, enthusiasm. Um, fulfillment, feeling full, you know. Um, so it has these qualities. And uh, in the uh, seven factors of enlightenment, there are many uh, uh, lists like this in Buddhism. Uh, the Eight Noble Truths and the uh, Five Hindrances and Buddhist love numbers. Uh, so, um, some of these lists overlap, and energy or effort is in most of them, because it's very so fundamental to our uh, practice. <coughs> of course, energy is, is uh, 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 it's impersonal, in a sense. It's just there, like the blood runs through your body, uh, and you don't have anything to do with it. Breathing, you don't have anything to do with that either. We say, I breathe, but actually you don't. You are breathed <laughs> by the universe. So breathing is simply universal activity. It's not my breathing. So we can study ourselves through breath. Breath is, is a really good way for... And I, uh, I highly recommend it. One, you know, we learn everything we need to know through breath. So breath is boring because we don't really um, look at what's really happening. Inhaling and exhaling is one um, cycle of birth and death. Inhaling is um, uh, coming to life, and exhaling is letting go. Inspiration and expiration, we call it. So inspiration, we come to life, everything lights up. Expiration, we let go, everything goes away. But then we get to the end, and a little pause, and then we come back. Oh yeah, you're born again. 
this is called rebirth. We die on one side and are born again in the next, in, uh, in the inhale. And we don't have anything to do with it. It just happens. So it's a wonderful way to study what's really going on in our life as the fundamental thing, birth and death. Um, so that's one aspect of, um, uh, um, virya. It's, it's uh, the vitality of a cycle of birth and death. Um, and from moment to moment, we are being born and letting go. It's quite wonderful. It, this is how we study um, impermanence. <coughs> um, then there's um, where am I? So, um, I can see okay. Thanks. <laughs> That's not the problem. The problem is <laughs> the, <laughs> the problem is I thought I had something down here and I can't find it. <laughs> where I'm looking. That's crazy. So I'll start someplace else. Um, in the uh, uh, the seven the seven factors of uh, uh, enlightenment. Sometimes it's called the seven limbs of enlightenment. The seven limbs of it, like it's a tree. So a tree with branches. Mindfulness, you could say, is uh, the trunk. Because mindfulness, as we know, is in every uh, wholesome state of mind. And it's a, a great factor, as uh, um, was expressed last night uh, in this beautiful talk on mindfulness by our abbot. So, um, but uh, uh, energy, of course, is universal. And so, uh, um, but, um, uh, effort is an a, 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 a factor in every one of these um, seven uh, 
limbs of enlightenment. So the tree is like, has roots. Sometimes the tree is uh, described as being upside down. So instead of having its roots in the earth, it has its roots in the heavens. Um, but you can also see it as, I like to see it as having roots in the earth. And the leaves absorb um, the uh, spirituality of heaven. Um, uh, the sunlight, you know, the earth is mundane and the heavens are spiritual. But in our understanding, mundane and spiritual are the same thing. Some understandings is, there are many understandings that usually it's the earth is mundane and the devil lives there <laughs> and a God lives in, in the heavens. But for us, like our, in our Zen practice, uh, uh, there's no separation between uh, spiritual and ordinary and, and material. Same thing. So, um, uh, w um, effort is a factor in each one of these seven uh, faculties. <coughs> Uh, and there are um, uh, uh, there are passive factors and active factors. Passive factors are like um, subtleness or uh, serenity uh, and even mindfulness. Mindfulness has a little bit of both. Mindfulness uh, is a kind of um, stopping and settling down and, and observing and being aware, which is somewhat passive. Uh, um, virya, or effort, is active. So um, often we, uh, some practitioners like to separate uh, maybe talk a lot about mindfulness as in a passive way, but don't express it in a active way. So um, effort is, what is the effort that is present in each one of these seven or six other um, uh, limbs of enlightenment? And what is what does it mean by enlightenment? We can have um, mindfulness without enlightenment. We can have uh, um, investigation without enlightenment. We can have um, vitality without enlightenment, ease without enlightenment, joy without enlightenment, concentration without enlightenment, and equanimity without enlightenment. So where's the enlightenment? That's a good question. What do you think? All seven. No. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you. It's in selflessness. 
as long as there is self in any one, in any one of these uh, faculties, th uh, it's not enlightenment. Enlightenment basically is without self, without self-centeredness. We have self-centeredness and Buddha-centeredness. When we practice, uh, we, ha we are become Buddha-centric instead of self-centric. So these are two aspects, self-centric and Buddha-centric. So uh, self-centric means um, uh, ego, basically. We use that term ego uh, when we're talking about self-centeredness. So self-centeredness takes the place of enlightenment. It's that simple. Instead of being Buddha-centric, we're self-centric. So as long as we're self-centric, we're not expressing enlightenment. When we hop over to the other side of Buddha-centric, then there's enlightenment. So we say, when we sit zazen, I, I use this term zazen because that's my tradition, means sitting in Zen. Za is sitting. And Zen means whatever you want it to mean. <laughs> um, so, when we sit, we're, we, we're no longer self-centered, theoretically. Buddha's, Buddha takes the place of ourself. This is Buddha's practice. This is not my practice. It's Buddha's practice. So that's our understanding. So our effort is to let go of self-centeredness and let Buddha take over. Otherwise, we can't really sit very well. What, so Buddha's becomes, Buddha becomes a hindrance because whenever we want to assert our self-centeredness, we come up against Buddha in our, in our sitting. So that's why we say there's no particular reason for sitting except to sit. As soon as we want something, Buddha comes up against us and, we, and, and then we start to suffer. So, um, letting go is really hard to do this. this. This is why it's so hard to practice. It's not because of the pain in your legs. It's because we are ignorant about our self-centeredness. We're just ignorant. People are ignorant about self I don't say that in a derogatory way. It just means um, ignoring, in, in that sense. Just ignoring what's real. And... Um, uh, getting attached to what's not real. So that's why we have a hard time in Zazen. When I started to sit Zazen 50-some years ago, um, I had a really hard time. It was so hard, you know, the pain in my legs, excruciating, and, and Suzuki Roshi was always saying, don't move, don't move. <laughs> <laughs> excruciating pain, which I know all of you have, have had. Right? Most of, almost all of you. Some people are just geniuses. <laughs> but, you know, so I sympathize with your 
difficulties. Totally. Because I've had all of them. But I've also had all of your um, uh, wonderful uh, blessings through sitting. So I've experienced a lot. And you know, it helped me to realize where, where my self-centeredness was and what, my block had, what was blocking me from actually sitting in comfort. You know, our um, founder of our, um, our school, Dogen, said, Zazen is the comfortable way. And we'd all say, oh yeah? <laughs> 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 but actually it is. It's the comfortable way when you let go of uh, self-centeredness. may sound funny, but it's true. Um, so, in, in um, the effort that we use, that I was taught, um, was um, uh, total exertion. Total exertion. Like, um, um, to do something totally and completely and leave nothing out. So we call it total dynamic um, activity. Zazen, or total dynamic activity. Um, you uh, totally exert yourself in Zazen. So what does total exertion mean? It doesn't mean to um, overdo it. <laughs> Sounds like total exertion would be uh, to fully fulfill yourself. But there's a balance between exertion and ease. Vipassana, in my observation, is mostly about ease. Just let go. Just relax. Be quiet. Relax. Don't move. <laughs> Zen is like the guy behind you with a stick going BAM! <laughs> 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 Truly. When I first started to um, practice, uh, Suzuki Roshi would go around with his stick, and uh, he had a short stick. It's kind of like you know the uh, the general has a pistol, and the the uh, infantry has rifles, right? So the pistol is short, just like his stick was short. But we the students when they would go around with a stick with long stick like this, this sh Soto school stick is about this long. The Rinzai school stick is about this long. <laughs> about that thick. <laughs> but he would go around and you'd ask him, you know, for the stick, you know, bam, 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 bam. Everybody's, oh, that's so wonderful. <laughs> it's direct, it's so direct and so vital activity. Direct vital activity, it'd wake you up. Um, so everybody loved his stick. Uh, People think it's like, oh, my daddy used to hit me with a strap, you know. And the, my dad did that too, but not very often. But that didn't bother me. I didn't associate one with the other. 
they're not to be, but people did asso do associate that with their parents. So we stopped doing that some years ago. But uh, there was a time we, w we had two people walking with sticks in the zendo every period. So it created a kind of intensity in the zendo, strong intensity. And um, so the stick you know, would wake people up, or if you felt like you're, you're, uh, you're confused and your mind was wandering and you couldn't find your breath, then you'd ask for the stick and boom, boom. Right? So it was good. We, everybody really liked it, except for some people. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so that's vitality, you know, the, it, it, the Zen uh, sitting is, is about all about vitality. So I'm not saying one is, is right and the other is wrong. They're both correct, but they have to be put together. One thing doesn't exist without the other. We live in the world of duality, and every time we emphasize one side, we have to balance it with the other side. This is the rules. I didn't make them up. Uh, when you have ease, you also have to have effort. Effort and ease go together. Otherwise, um, e um, in ease, it's easy to become sunken. You know, like go to sleep or, you know, feel so effort has to come in to support that ease. So when we sit up, when we sit zazen, you know, I was always taught to sit up really straight. And Suzuki Roshi would come around and always adjust our posture if we were not sitting up straight. Because you, you stretch your, your um, waist. And um, there's a, a, a string coming down from the ceiling attached to your head, to your crown of your head, pulling you up. And you're a puppet. You just let everything hang, and then you put your hands in mudra. That's all there is to it. So that's zazen. So there's a lot of effort, and then you let go. And it's nothing but ease. But you have a structure that allows you to be easy. So zazen looks like, but actually it's all nothing but ease. So it's the balance, balances between effort and ease. So, and that's true in, in uh, all of these faculties. The, the balance of effort, because there's effort in every single one of them. And there's also like joy, you know, is... Um, how do you control joy? Well, you control joy. You don't want to control joy. You want to just be joyful, right? <laughs> but the, there are levels of joy. So some joy it is too much. You know, you get to laughing and, and then pretty soon it's no longer funny. <laughs> so you have to have some control. So, not exactly control, but some way to, to discern what come down to normal. So there's something called the norm. 
Buddha is reported to have said. Um, all I teach is the norm. And we think that Buddhism is something special. My teacher always said, nothing special. That was his mantra, nothing special. Don't, th th there's a precept that says, don't sell or, or use wine. We, we say wine, the, 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 uh, don't sell or use um, uh, um, the wine of del the, the um, liquor or dope of delusion, which is selling Buddhism as something wonderful. Don't sell Buddhism as one, something that will cure you, that will make you feel better, that will be the panacea for everything. Don't sell it like that. But we come to practice hoping that practice will cure us or help us. We want something from practice. As long as you want something from practice, you will never get it. All you can do is give yourself totally to it. We're selfish. Self-centeredness is wanting something from the world. When you are Buddha, you just give. When you just give, that cures you. So that's what the Dharma is about, is about giving yourself totally, unreservedly. You know, we say, if you want the tiger's cub, you have to go into the kind of tiger's cave and meet the tiger. If you want the most valuable thing, you have to pay the highest price, right? So, uh, although we don't have a goal exactly in the Dharma, uh, we do have a way. Mrs. Um, uh, Suki Roshi would say, uh, even though, um, uh, even though there's no self, there still are rules. Yeah, so I'm, um, I always think of the seven factors of enlightenment as um, how they apply to zazen, how do they apply to our um, meditation practice. Um,
because So each one of these um, uh, factors are um, uh, modified by effort. What is the effort in mindfulness um, to be a support for mindfulness and to give it vitality? Um, because if we don't give mindfulness vitality, it uh, can easily fall into simply observation, which is important. But, uh, but the, the purpose of mindfulness is observation, clear comprehension. Um, but as I said before, if, if it's not supported by uh, effort, uh, there's no, um, uh, it falls into, can fall into sloth and torpor. Sloth and torpor are the opposite of effort, of course. So that's what we're, uh, our practice is always being wary of, is sloth and torpor. It's, and in, in the literature, it says you cannot practice if, if you are subject to sloth and torpor. It has to be uh, um, right effort. So um, effort in calmness is the same. It's wonderful to have a calm mind. Calmness is like um, uh, tranquility is um, like a, a pond that has no ripple, like our mind that has no ripple at all, just like a mirror. Um, and serenity is like a sunset, where the sun is going down and everything falls, the birds stop, uh, Nighttime descends, and it's a what's wonderful time with the bamboo, the, the uh, baboon's howl. <laughs> um, so, effort and joy is to uh, not overdo joy, but to enjoy it. My understanding of joy is it's not dependent on conditions. Joy is something so deep that is not dependent on conditions. It, but through practice, joy is always there, even if, no matter whether you feel good or bad. It's a deep, deep joy that's um, uh, always accessible no matter what's happening. 
because it's not dependent on good and bad, right or wrong, or conditions. <clears throat> and um, effort and concentration, so concentration can also lead to torpor if it's not supported by effort. And um, equanimity um, also needs energy, needs to be supported by energy. So energy is effort, strong effort is um, uh, so basic to uh, successful practice. So we're always one of the reasons why um, Zen practice is so formal, people say, in your Zen practice, you know, you, you have all these rituals, but we don't. We have formality, but we don't have a lot of rituals. People confuse ritual with formality. Formality is, is a, a strong container for your effort. Instead of it leaking out, it stays contained. So, uh, in, in general Buddhism, leakage is um, one of the um, uh, uh, problems that are, that's always um, uh, uh, expressed when, when you, like, when you have sashin, sashin, as we call this retreat, um, uh, when, when, when we're all here on time, when we're all, no matter how we feel, we're all still here, and we're making an effort together, there's a great energy that uh, fills the room, as we know. You don't want that energy to leak. So, um, leakage, when we have a, a, a good structure, not overly structured, but a good feeling of structure, and everybody's participating voluntarily <laughs> with that structure, um, then the, the energy, you can uh, cut it with a knife. It's so thick. Especially at the last day, when everybody's sitting around waiting to go home. <laughs> the feeling in the room is just a tremendous energy, effort. Uh, and uh, our Buddha nature is just all present. Um, so we have to manage our energy our effort. Energy, energy management is called effort because energy is just raw, like I was saying in the beginning. And effort is how you use it. Um, my teacher always, you know, energy is like fire. So if, it's, if you just let the energy, you know, express itself through you without some kind of discernment, then it burns something up. 
right? I mean, it just burns up uh, the, the, the place where you are, that's metaphorically. Um, so you have to manage the, the effort and the energy, the energy with effort. Um, and it's like um, a kerosene lamp. I don't know if you have ever, if you ever have a, had had a kerosene lamp. We used to have them at Tassahara before we had electricity. And uh, you light the lamp and it has a chimney. And if you're not careful, uh, it'll flame out and, and the chimney will get black. And it's smoky and, and uh, smelly. And so you don't want to have that kind of energy. You want to have energy that's controlled, not too controlled, controlled just right to do just the right amount of effort to do the most work. So, and then you're very careful about how you adjust it and you get a nice light and uh, everything works well. That's our body and mind, is like a lamp, like that. How to control the effort and the energy so that um, it works perfectly. So when we sit zazen, um, it's like controlling the lamp. If we're too energetic, if we allow too much energy to come forth, we get, um, uh, uh, we f kind of flame out, you know, and we get um, uh, uh, tired and uh, restless. And if it's too low, we get sleepy and listful. So every moment you have to adjust the flame in your in your zen in your zazen practice in your meditation it doesn't get boring because you're adjusting all the time moment by moment it's micromanagement you're micromanaging your posture and your um and your breath moment by moment and then you have wonderful experience of ease That's how you feel the ease within the effort. The ease and the effort come together in beautiful balance. And then we carry that into our daily life. So this uh, retreat and our daily life are exactly the same. People leave the, uh, the meditation hall and they, say, uh, they step out in the street and they say, where's the practice? Well, it's not out there, it's in here. Wherever you go, it's here. That you, it doesn't matter whether you're in the meditation hall or in the busy marketplace, because you're carrying that emptiness with you all the time. You're practicing all the time. It's continuous practice. It's, so it's, it's not just when you come to the retreat. The coming to the retreat is great because it helps you to focus on that. And then when you go out in the, in the uh, it's easy to do here, but when you go out in the marketplace, it, everybody gets lost. Where's my practice? Where's my practice? So you have to be aware all the time of what your practice is.
Well, what is my practice? That's a great question. So that's the question we always have to... Um, uh, Gil talked about what. Yeah, last night, he used to, what? That's it. What is the great koan? What is it? What am I doing? What's happening? You don't have to answer the question. All you have to do is ask it. What? What's next? What? What's this? What's this? What's my practice now, in this situation? So, it, uh, meditation is just a microcosm uh, of your daily life. So instead of being self-centered in your daily life, you become Buddha-centered in your daily life. Buddha becomes the center, and it's the center of no center. <laughs> the center of no center. Uh, but, you know, we're half Buddha and half ordinary self-centered person. That's our life. Even though we don't know that we're half Buddha, the, the percentages are not important. Even though you don't know that you're half Buddha, until you start to practice. So when you start to practice, then you, we tell you that you're half Buddha, whether you realize it or not. <laughs> so Buddha is not some special person. Buddha is you, freed from self-centeredness. But even though you're not freed from self-centeredness, you're still Buddha. Because you cannot escape. So, um, well, you say, well, I, if I'm Buddha, you know, I make this mistake and I, I'm a bad person here and I do these bad things and blah, blah, blah. It's just bad Buddha, that's all. Selfish Buddha. That's all. And when you think in that way, realize in that way, then you, you feel like you, you don't want to, you, want, you don't want to make those mistakes. So, um, as I said before, yesterday I think it was, <laughs> um, leading, sometimes self-centered me leads leading, and Buddha's here and following me. And then I get to where I think, oh, I'd rather have Buddha lead. So I let Buddha go forward, and then I follow Buddha. But then my ego gets you know, in the way, and I think, oh, he, I'm going to take over here. And, just, and it goes like that. Um, and that's our life. It's like that. You say, I wish that I, Buddha and I would be one person. So then we put our hands together. And bow. That's one person. Me and Buddha. One. And then when you bow to somebody or something, you totally let go of everything. You just let go of everything. This is what's so wonderful about bowing. You just let go of everything. And the, um, uh, the world disappears. And... Uh, that's enlightened practice. Some people just, 
you know, we bow so many times, so much that people get tired of it and they go, mm, mm. That's not it. It's like you stop at the bottom. Mm. And when you stop, that's the bow. Everything disappears. Boom. Everything disappears. And then you come back to life. Back to ordinary. But this is, boom, everything disappears. And you f have total freedom at that point. And when pe two people bow to each other, everything disappears. And you've met in emptiness, your true nature. So it's hard for me to give a talk from my notes because all this stuff comes into my head. So, but I don't know, four, five. I still have a few minutes. I won't keep you too long. Um, Okay, I just have one more thing. Gravity and spirit. There are two forces that are that control our life, whether we like it or not. One of them is gravity. And the other is spirit, what I call spirit. Our um, uh, human spirit, which is always going up and gravity is always going down. Gravity is pulling us to the earth, and we're naturally, you know, we, we stand up on two feet, two legs, and uh, if we're um, not too uh, ambitious, we can balance ourselves between these two forces. So uh, if we have too much uh, ambition, we have to work really hard just to stand up. Uh, and if we don't have enough spirit, we kind of crawl around on the ground. So these two forces we're dealing with every moment, and they, they form our life. Uh, we have to deal with them all the time. So how do we balance gravity and spirit? Um, and make them one so that we actually have ease in our life. So that our, if we take on uh, uh, too much, now especially like applied to sitting, uh, gravity is pulling me down to this cushion and sitting up. My spirit is pulling, pu pushing me up. And so how do I find the balance between those two 
so that I have ease. I just want to say that. Where is our ease? And th this is what we're working with all the time when we're sitting. <laughs> it's, oh, it's so hard, my legs hurt, you know, and, and all this. That's because of those two forces vying with each other. So how do you reconcile that? So that you can actually sit up comfortably for a long time, all day. <laughs> yeah, gravity's pulling you to the earth. And um, it always wins. Unless you um, merge with it and not see it as an obstacle. So we live in the world of duality. This against that. Good and bad, right and wrong, gravity and spirit. How do you bring them together in oneness? So our, what we say is um, to just be totally one with your activity. Practice is how to be one. You know, make me one. That is a joke. <laughs> how to be one with our activity. So that uh, although there are two, there's the two are one, and the one is two. That's the that's the kind of the formula of our life. Two are one, and one is two. And it's neither one nor two. So, thank you for listening to my ramble. My legs asleep. <laughs>